0: Good morning, Pleasant Grove. It is so good to talk with you, but I want to see you. So write this down. If God help us, as, as we give it our best in three weeks, we want to be back meeting face-to-face. Because I want to see you, and I, I like to see what I'm shooting at. Amen? And I want to hear everyone's wonderful voice, worshiping the Lord as a great choir, singing praises unto God. So you mark that down, and we'll give you more information. But we're going to do our best. We've got some fine-tuning and some things to iron out. And But within three weeks, we want to get together, it'll take us at least two services. And we'll give you information on when those are and who should come to each service. But we're doing our best because we believe it's God's will that we gather together. And now some of you older saints, I want to talk to you. I want your prayers. I want you to pray for some of these younger ones. My heart's unsteady about some of the younger ones in the faith. There, I don't feel good about them missing so much church, and it's um, it's not it's not it's not a hard thing for many of them to slip back into bad habits. So, some of your older ones, you begin to pray for those younger ones. We got to lift up the the young in Christ. That's part of our job. Those of us that have walked with God, we need to spend some extra time praying for the young families, praying for the young believers, that during this time away, they're going to stay strong and. And God's going to continue to give him grace. But listen, in just three weeks, I'm believing God that we can get together again and we can have church. And we'll have a couple of services. We'll give you all the info. We'll need some volunteers, some extra helpers with children's church. We've got to work all that out. But we're going to work it out because God wants us together. And so pray with us and stay tuned. Amen. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter number one. We're in a series of sermons from the book of Philippians, we like to preach through books. By preaching through a book, it enables us to become well-rounded Christians. We hear the whole counsel of God. We don't just jump from our favorite topic to our favorite topic, our hobby horse, and we can become very lopsided in our faith. But as a congregation, we want to feed on and be educated from the whole counsel of God. So preaching through books helps us do that. And we're doing that in the book of Philippians. So, Philippians 1, look if you would, this is part 2 of a message entitled, Tools in the Master's Hand. Tools in the Master's Hand. Verse 12, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He was thrown in prison. He was falsely accused and arrested. But Paul says, you know what? When I look at it through the eye of faith, I see that what the devil meant for evil, God is using for good. What a God we serve. Verse 13, he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ because of my chains. Verse 14, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. That's Paul's chains. That's what we studied last time. This week, Paul's critics, Paul's critics. I mean, talk about pushing a man when he's down. Amen. Verse 15. Now it's true that some preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, but others do out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ at a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter, Paul writes? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. Isn't that a wonderful attitude? Even though they're making fun of Paul and they're giving Paul problems, he says, as long as Jesus is being exalted, as long as Jesus and his gospel is going forth, I'm going to rejoice. Amen? Oh, I like that. Verse 19, now Paul gives us some wonderful resources here. And Paul says, and I know that through your prayers, isn't that wonderful? Through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will ultimately turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage always. So that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, bless the Lord. Tools in the master's hand. Do you want to be a tool? In the Master's hand, do you want to be someone that the Lord can use regardless of circumstance or situation? And if you do, let's imitate this wonderful example the great Apostle Paul gives us and let's live such a way. Now, our theme is how God uses unusual and unconventional instruments and circumstances to develop us, but also to advance, to advance His work. The background, as we said, is Paul... He's in a prison. He's in a Roman prison. And as a preacher, as an apostle, Paul always wanted to go to Rome. It was a great desire to preach the gospel in Rome. He knew Rome as the capital, as the strategic center of the great empire. If he could make an impact in Rome, literally millions would be affected by the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome and he got to Rome, but not as a preacher. He got there as a prisoner, as someone that was falsely accused illegally arrested. Hey, God's ways are different than ours, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But what many people would look at and say, that's a failure, a colossal failure. Paul saw it as actually advancing. We use the word pioneering, advancing the gospel. And it was Paul's attitude towards all the circumstances that he faced that enabled him to make a difference. And that's the example that we have, the encouragement we have how Paul grew, how the gospel advanced, and most importantly, how the Lord Jesus Christ was glorified. Because Paul responded to things in faith properly as he should. And friend, the most important thing is that that I'm right or you're right, you have your way, I have mine. The most important thing is that Jesus is glorified and His heart is pleased. Can you say amen? Oh, glory. I love this. In spite of the attacks, the injustice, the unfairness, The great apostle leaves us a great example of how to respond to our chains, how to respond to our critics, and how to respond to our crisis. Now last week we spoke about Paul's chains. That's verses 12-14. through He was in chains for Christ. And the things that we would think would be a hindrance actually became a tool of furtherance for the Gospel. The things that we might say is a disqualification became an inspiration for the advance of the Gospel. And because Paul chose to consecrate his chains, we looked at three things last week. Number one, verse 12 said, his chains promoted the advance of the gospel. Instead of the gospel being hindered, it actually grew and went further. Number two, in verse 13, his chains or his circumstances, they actually provided opportunity for strategic witness of the gospel. The gospel made inroads where it couldn't have gone before. Paul was able to, witness to the elite of caesar's bodyguard paul was able to go into caesar's courts and his officials and government officials and explain the gospel of jesus christ all because of his chains and then number three we said in verse 14 his trials his adversity produced courage in fellow believers when other believers in rome saw how paul approached his trial. How Paul was strong in the face of adversity and continued to be bold in Christ. They became bold in Christ. Their faith was encouraged to stand firm where God had placed them. And so you see, when we live for the Lord and we walk confidently, we can encourage others at observing us. And that's important. Now, Paul's chains. The enemy will try to use our chains to discourage us. At times to... Um, disqualify, to embitter us, to belittle us. But the Lord says to you and I this morning, give me your chains. God speaks to you regardless of your heritage or your handicap, regardless of your circumstance or your child. Give me your chains. Regardless of maybe that present challenge or that that past crisis, that that, that past uh, mistake you made or that present mountain of adversity you're facing. God says, give me your chains. And then you just watch. As your chains become my tools and your handicaps become my instruments that I could use in a way you never dreamed. Here, Paul gives us a secret. One of the secrets of this great man of God's life was that he did not complain about his chains. Instead, he consecrated his chains to God. And he asked God to use them. And God did use them. And God will continue to use them. So whatever you're going through, whatever your past might be, whatever you're facing, don't let those things embitter you. Don't let those things hold you back. Just say, Lord, I give you my life. All of me, Lord. The past, the future, the present. I'm yours, Lord. Help me respond to every day of my life with an attitude that wants to glorify your name and please you with my life. And if you'll do that, God will use you and God will bless you and you'll become an instrument in the Master's hand. Hallelujah. Paul's chains are titled, Tools in the Master's Hands. Number two now, Paul's critics. Verses 15, really, through 21. Verses 15 through 21. Paul's critics. Do you have any critics? I want to tell you, if you don't have any critics, you're not living. I mean, if if you're living, you got critics. Amen. Now, it's hard to believe that Paul would have enemies like this. It's hard to believe that anyone, specifically Christians here, people within the family, would oppose Paul. But there were some believers in Rome that actually did. They took this opportunity to take shots at Paul. Um, they're the, kick you when you're down, brethren. Lord knows we don't need any more of them. Amen. God help us. We don't need that. But, but there were some believers that did. Some preached Christ sincerely. But our scripture says some preached Christ insincerely hoping they could stir up trouble for Paul. They were trying to make his situation worse. There were some that were trying to use this as an opportunity to kick the poor guy when he was down. Paul's critics verses 15 through 21 as Paul looked down upon the church he saw some encouraging things and that's what we touched on. He saw the advance. He saw the inroads of witnessing. He saw the encouragement. He saw some good things. But He also saw some discouraging things. Some were supporting him in his trial. Some were taking advantage of his trial and actually attacking him. Think about that. (laughs) He's rejoicing in their message. But he's grieved by their motive. Now let me put a little note here. Paul's rejoicing, but the message was pure. Now when the message is not pure, Paul's quick to attack it and address it and deal with it. So he's not applauding an impure message. Their message was pure. And he applauds that because if the word goes forth, if a pure gospel goes forth, lives will be changed and Jesus will be exalted. So Paul says, I'm rejoicing that Christ is preached. But he's not rejoicing in the motive that was in their hearts, in the manner they went about preaching. He was grieved by that, by the unkind brethren. In fact, the word used to describe these men in our scripture is a word that they would use in the Greek um, day to um, canvass for an office. Like a politician that would go door to door and he would say, you, you, you vote for me, don't vote for him. You'd you be on my side, not their side. These people were in the church, but maybe they were intimidated by Paul. Maybe that Paul was going to take away some of their crowd. And so while he was in prison, they were using it as an opportunity to point out negative things about him and to draw people away from Paul and unto themselves. God keep us and shield us from such a thing. But Paul, again, was able to rejoice, not because of the selfishness of the critics, but because of the fact that Jesus Christ was being preached and that's what really matters. And I want you to take note of Paul's attitude and Paul's response. Paul had a heart that was free of envy. He refused to become petty. Oh, that's a sign of Christian maturity. When we refuse to become petty, Lord, keep us from that. He refused to shoot back and kind of get down to their level. He saw that what mostly was important was that Jesus Christ in the Gospel of our Lord, be faithfully preached or properly preached. And he, he was hurt. Listen, he was hurt, but he took the high road. One of the ways you can measure your spiritual maturity, can you take the high road when you've been hurt? When you can't have your way, do you act like a two-year-old, even though you've been in the church 30 years? Come on, say amen. I mean, when someone speaks a word of correction into your life, do you revert back to that little teenager that doesn't want anyone to tell him what to do? Listen, that's an immaturity. You you might be saved, but you're immature, and God is calling us to maturity. He's calling us to likeness. and we're learning this from Paul. I mean, nobody likes to be criticized. None of us like to have criticism, even if it's correct. But Paul gives us an example of how to respond to criticism. Friends, help us to take the high road, even when our hearts have been wounded by an unkind word or maybe you know a thought that didn't need to be shared. And let's not be jealous of one another. Amen? Here's the lesson for the church. Let us never be jealous of one another, but let us keep and guard our hearts from selfish ambition and instead let's support one another. Let's rejoice in the success of our brothers and sisters and allow us to lift up each other when someone falls down. Remembering we're on the same team and we're in the same family. Amen? And we can be honest here. We can be honest. We have to be. Criticism is not always easy to take. You know that's true and so do I. I mean, it's not always easy. What what is the saying? I'm sticks and stones may break my bones, but names, they'll never hurt me. Well, I've been in pastoring 25, 30 years now. And I can tell you, I've counseled enough people to know that names do hurt people, that comments do hurt people. That people are wounded and afflicted. And sometimes it's hard to shake off when people, toxic tongues and unkind spirits are poured out upon them. So we recognize, and we're honest here, that criticism is not always easy to take, especially when you're already down. Especially when, man, you're down. You want someone to lift you up. You're down. You want someone to come alongside and give you a little word of encouragement. You don't want them pouring salt in the wounds. And that's what they were doing to Paul. Now, on one hand, listen, on one hand, I don't ever want to become unteachable. Listen, I don't ever want to become unteachable. This is getting a little bit up to our Wednesday night discipleship classes. I don't ever want to become unteachable. I don't ever want to become unable to receive from others, unable to benefit from proper feedback. I mean, um, that's a good way to stop growing and maturing. OK, this is a humble spirit, a teachable spirit. That God desires. That attracts the Lord. That is um, pleasing to the heart of God. A contrite heart. That's the heart that God responds to. Amen? And, and I don't want to get out of touch. Because if I cannot listen and I no longer can receive, I just get out of touch. I live my life out of touch. And like one philosopher said, I believe, he said it like this. Listen. If one person calls you a donkey, don't pay any attention to it. You just shrug it off and don't be overly sensitive. But listen, if in a day or two, five people call you a donkey, then you might want to just go down to the feed store and buy yourself a saddle. Can you say amen? Now, I don't ever... (laughs) I I, I want to be able to receive. I want to be able to hear. Because that's how we grow. And that's how we advance in God. But on the other hand, alright, you got that point? Amen. Now on the other hand, I can't allow Unkind words and callous comments of life's critics and accusers. When we are younger, we'd call them the peanut gallery. You can't allow the peanut gallery to to, to always corrupt your spirit or anger your spirit or contaminate your spirit or poison your esteem. Amen? Poison your esteem. Hinder my obedience. Steal your victory. Sometimes you just got to have a deaf ear to such foolish things. So recognize, and let's remember this, Everyone will face critics. Paul is not an isolated example here. We all face critics. In fact, note takers, write this down. John 15 verses 18 through 20. Pretty soon when we see ourselves face to face, we can get back the PowerPoint going and we can do these things and read them together. But listen, write down John 15, verses 18 through 20. Let me just give you quickly the ZPT translation, the paraphrase. What's that? That's the Zeno paraphrase translation. No library should be without it. Amen. And I, I sum up those three verses and here it is. If they did it to me, don't be surprised if they do it to you. Amen? That's what Jesus said. If they did it to me, don't be surprised if they do it to you. Because listen, we're followers of Him, aren't we? We're servants of Him, aren't we? So listen, do that. Now, right now, note taker 2 Timothy 3 and 12, 2 Timothy 3 and 12, the NIV says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, the ZPT translation says it like this. If you choose to live godly and consistently consistently in this fallen world, people will be bothered by it. And when they're bothered by it, man, then they attack and they accuse and they criticize and they blah, blah, blah. And this crazy age, they say things. Oh my, it's a cowardly age. So you have to recognize that. Sometimes being salt means you are preservative. Sometimes being salt, you enhance flavor. But sometimes being salt, you bring sting and conviction. That's part of being salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And being a light, we illuminate, but we also expose. So as you walk with the Lord, you can't help to avoid being criticized. If you live godly, if you live holy, if you're sincerely putting Jesus Christ first in your life, You're going to take it like He took it. So don't let it bother you. Don't let it overwhelm you. Keep walking. Keep believing. One writer put it this way. To avoid criticism, say nothing. Do nothing. Stand for nothing. Think about that. But as Christians, we do stand for something, don't we? As Christians, we must live a certain way and and proclaim a certain message, mustn't we? Does not our Savior and our salvation requires such living and such lives. Of course it does. So no criticism, accusation, misunderstanding, unkind comments and unkind brethren will make contact with our lives. We can't, you know, you shield yourself from everything you want. Criticism, you can't shield yourself from that. We're all going to taste it sooner or later in this life, but we must not allow the toxic tongues of others to defile us, to define us, to discourage us, certainly not knock us off course. Instead, we've got to stay in the Spirit. Amen? We've got to stay sweet as the Spirit allows us to stay sweet. We've just got to keep steady, walking with Jesus don't lose our focus. You see, a lot of these people try to get you off focus and now you're not seeking God like you should and doing the will of God like you should. And please, 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 don't get baited so that you begin to fight the wrong enemy. Listen, that person's not your enemy. They're just lost. That person's not your enemy. They're, they're just a carnal Christian. No, no. Love people, fight the devil, but keep your focus on the Lord and keep serving Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Somebody say amen. Oh, glory be to God. Listen, when criticism comes, I want to do my best not to lash out, not to get in the mud with them. No, 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 no. But, but let the God be your defender. And, and let, let um, the smoke clear. And let God show you what's happening. You know, the Gettysburg Address, Lincoln, President Lincoln, Gettysburg, one of the finest presidential speeches ever given. We certainly have not heard one in our generation that can measure up to such a speech. But the day after, President Lincoln gave his Gettysburg Address, a Chicago newspaper, one of the biggest in the country, at that time wrote, the cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads this silly, flat, dishwatery utterance of a man who has to be pointed out to intelligent foreigners as the President of the United States. Can you imagine that? So listen, don't be quick to lash out. Let God defend you. Don't be baited by the the carnal or the complacent. But let the smoke clear. And in the end, it'll go well with you. But listen, the, the bottom line is this. Throughout the Bible, there's examples more and more of men and women who were criticized who were misunderstood, who were attacked for simply trying to, um, to, to do the right thing in the eyes of the Lord, who were simply down and people wanted to pour salt in the wounds, those who were trying to attempt something good for God. There's always. Think about it. Didn't David's worship receive criticism? Didn't Nehemiah's work receive criticism? Didn't Job's wounds receive criticism? Think about it. David is worshiping the Lord with all of his heart. And his wife, of all people, his wife was trying to criticize him. Saying, you look undignified. But you know what? David kept worshiping, didn't he? Friend, don't lose your song. Don't allow the ugly words of others to quench your praise. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Just don't bother with them. Keep your eyes on Jesus and give Jesus your very best. In the end, they'll stand before God. You'll stand before God. Make sure you stand before God knowing you did not allow the cruel words of men, the unkind the misunderstood attitudes of others to hinder your wholehearted Praise you, bless the Lord with all that is within you because He's worthy. Somebody say amen. David's worship was criticized. Nehemiah's work was criticized. Can you imagine that? He's rebuilding the wall of God's city that had been in ruin for years and years and years. It had been a shameful disgrace to the name of the Lord. He's rebuilding that wall, but not everyone's cheering. They said you can't do it. They said it's a feeble task. It'll never get done. You know, friend, when you choose to begin to rebuild your life for the glory of God, when you begin to do things right in the eyes of the Lord, maybe you choose to take a step towards holiness step towards real obedience in the things of God. Others won't understand it. Others might not want to go with you and they'll attack you and they'll try to discourage you. But like Nehemiah, he heard the words of criticism. He heard the negativity, but he kept building. He kept believing. He kept trusting. Don't let anyone keep you from finishing the work God has called you to do. You just keep working. You just keep giving God your best. Friend, if all you can do is one brick at a time, then with one brick of faith and obedience a time, you keep loving Jesus, you keep serving Jesus, you keep obeying Jesus, you keep working for the glory of God and God will honor that work and God will applaud that work. I'm telling you, there's critics out there. Paul knew how to handle chains and Paul knew how to handle critics. David kept praising even when they wanted to silence his song and Nehemiah, he kept building even when they said you'll never get it done oh the devil is a liar you're gonna finish that work that marriage is gonna be healed your life is gonna be restored you're gonna overcome that mess by the glory and the grace of God think about Job his wounds were criticized can you imagine such unkind thing all oh, that of God went through yet Job's comforters amen Joe's counselors, they, they criticized him. They said, you brought it on yourself. You deserved it. Can you imagine being so insensitive, so unkind to a fellow brother that's going through a child? These men misjudged him. They falsely accused and blamed him. But Job kept his integrity until the very end. And in the end, God applauds him and God approves of him and God defends him. And that's what matters. In the end, just make sure the one that's on your side is the Lord. In the end, just make sure the one that says, I'm pleased with you, his name is Jesus. Before you try to please men, before you bow to the comments of the peanut gallery, just make sure you're Hearing from the Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. Somebody say amen in God's house. Glory be to God. Paul is doing his best in a hard, trying, unfair circumstance. And on top of this, on top of his chains, critics are trying to make matters worse. They're trying to kick him when he's down. Take advantage of him when he's in a vulnerable place. But Paul did not allow, listen, Paul did not allow the critics to make him critical. Paul did not allow the unkind words of the know-it-alls to quench his spirit and make him a critical person, a cynical person. Think about that. And that's important, friends. Because when people begin to say things, you've got to guard your heart. Because it's easy to get that spirit on you and then you start acting like them. Uh, um, things in life, things in life will try to, or have the potential to make us critical. To make us cynical if we don't guard our hearts. I read about this article. It's called The Birth of a Cynic. And it went like this. An optimist is the father who lets his son drive his new Cadillac. A pessimist is one that won't. And a cynic, is one who did. (laughs) Hallelujah. Lord, help us. you got to watch these things that get get a hold of your heart and make you what you don't want to be. But listen, listen, listen. Very important. Verses 19 and 20. Begin to look at those verses right now. Because in verses 19 and 20, instead of Paul getting disheartened, instead of Paul just quitting and saying, what's the use? Is this what I get from serving God? Not even the church, not even all the church people are being kind to me. You can't let them move you. Verse 19 to 20. Paul reveals to us three things that were at work in his life that made a great difference and gave him the ability to rise above it all. I want you to know this morning that you can rise above it and you can prevail in spite of it. Whatever you're facing, if you're a child of God, you can rise above it and you can prevail in spite of it. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God's grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You're not alone in that battle. You've got the family of God with you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you'll stay faithful to the Lord, He will definitely stay faithful to you. Three things, verses 19 and 20, that that Paul recognizes are divine resources that are available to him, that are available to you and I to help us in this Christian experience. Number one, the prayers. The prayers of his friends. Verse 19, the prayers of the church. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the family of God. Amen? But secondly, the provision or the help of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's verse 19. The help, the full measure of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, His personal determination. His person. You see, if you're going to make it, you've got to mean business with God. You've got to work with God. You've got to be serious you just can't be complacent but if you're serious with god he'll be serious with you let's look at these number one a divine resource that you and i have at our disposal this ought to encourage us the prayers the prayers of the church paul writes for i know that through your prayers through your prayers isn't it wonderful to be part of the family of god are you part of the family of god are you faithful to god's house We need the church. We were made to be part of the family. We were made for fellowship. We were made for mutual encouragement. We were made to lock arms of faith. We weren't made to be lone rangers. We weren't made to do our own thing. We were made to be part of the local congregation. I'll tell you what, it made a great difference in Paul's life knowing his church family was praying for him. And I give Paul a hearty amen because I know it makes a difference in my life. It's good to know that we're not alone when we're going through the battle of faith. You're part of the church. It's a wonderful privilege. It is a source of great comfort knowing my church family is praying for me. Isn't that right? It's a great source of comfort knowing my church family is praying for me. Romans 15 and 30, note takers, you can write it down. There's so many verses. If we had the PowerPoint going, we could look at it. But let me just give you one quickly. Romans 15 and 30. And Paul writes in the NIV... Join me in my struggle by praying for me. Think about that. One of the ways we join people in their struggle is by praying for them. Sometimes we see a friend, we see a brother or sister going through something and we wish, oh Lord, I wish I could help them. Well, you can help them by praying for them. One way we join in their struggle, one way we give them some of our strength is by praying to God for them. So I want to thank the Lord this morning for the benefit and the blessing of praying one for another. And I think of like Moses on that mountain when his hands were raised in prayer for Joshua and the troops that were fighting down in the valley. What confidence comes to our hearts when we know that hand are being lifted up to the throne of grace on our behalf as we go through this fight of faith. Oh, what a blessing it is. I don't know how many times I've been going through something and fighting that fight, and then all of a sudden it lifts. All of a sudden there's a breakthrough. And I know somebody touched God for me. And like Paul, I'm thankful for the prayers of the church, for the prayers of my brothers and sisters. And if you're a Christian, this is a resource. This is the resource that you have so you be encouraged and you stay faithful to church and you pray one for another so that when you need prayer, God can touch someone to lift you up. Number one, Paul says, I'm going to get through this. There's one thing I have that the devil can't stop and that's the prayers of the church. But secondly, the other thing is I have the provision, a full measure of divine provision by the Spirit of the living God. Look at verse 19. Paul says, you know, through your prayers and the help, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The supply, the supply. Don't have time to explain that word in the Greek, but it speaks of a full supply. It speaks of having a full supply of the Holy Spirit. What it says to you and I is this. As Christians, we possess a sufficient, totally adequate supply, provision." Of God's own Holy Spirit within us. It will enable us to meet all the demands of this life. All you need, God has provided in His Holy Spirit. No matter what you go through, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. You have a source of strength that is greater than your will, that is greater than your, your, your gut and your own endurance. You have the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit. That's why John writes, greater is He that's within me than He that's in the world. You possess the Spirit of the living God. Paul says it's not that I liveth, but Christ lives in me. And if you're a child of God and you've been born again, then the Spirit of the Lord has come within you. That gives you a strength to go and keep on going, to stand and keep on standing. You might go through a hard time and humanly speaking, you don't have all it takes. Humanly speaking, you're getting weary and exhausted, but Paul reminds us, not only is the church praying for you, but the Spirit of the living God dwells within you to give you the strength, that full provision. If you need wisdom, He is the Spirit of wisdom. If you need comfort, He is the Spirit of comfort. If you need counsel, He is that wonderful counselor. If you need guidance, He guides us and He leads us in the way we are to take. If you need power, He is a Spirit of power that enables us to fight this good fight of faith, to overcome every challenge, to advance through every adversity. You possess the Spirit of living God. Lift up your hands and rejoice. The devil is a liar. The devil is a defeated foe. And you are a child of the King of Kings born to triumph, destined for victory. Glory be the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Paul writes, we have resources at our disposal. You might be flat on your back in the hospital, but you're not alone. The church is praying for you. There's people weeping and calling on the throne of God for you. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is within you, giving you strength, giving you peace, giving you wisdom. The last thing Paul writes here it's very important because we have a part to play in our victory. Paul speaks of his personal determination. That's a resource. Because God honors those that honor Him. Look what Paul writes in verse 20. He says, I expect, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, this is determination. Amen. This is a personal dedication. Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul's personal determination made a big difference. Your personal determination makes a big difference in how far you go with god in the measure of victory you have in god you see we have our part to play real christianity demands a sincere commitment to god and cooperation with god a a devotion to god it's not for the lazy it's not for the casual but those that sincerely love the lord and give god their proper effort they're the ones that god honors they're the ones that god brings through the bible says of that overcoming church in the last day. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and loving not their lives even unto death. They had a Christian commitment that wouldn't turn back. Most of you are familiar with a good old um, water baptismal service. And we usually sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And it's a confession of commitment to Christ that refuses to go back, but will continue on serving the Lord through thick and sin. And in that, the Father is pleased. In that, the grace of God is bestowed in a wonderful, wonderful measure. And Paul was determined, and three thoughts about his determination, all there in verse 20, just write this down. Number one, Paul says, I, I want to keep a clear conscience. He says, I hope in no way I'm going to be ashamed. What I'm going through is not easy, but I don't want to be ashamed. I want to go through this with a clear conscience that I went through it properly. Isn't that a good example for all of us? No matter what we're going through. Sometimes it's not easy. But Lord, I want to go through this with a determination that in the end I'm going to have a clear conscience because I'm going to go through it in a way that honors you, in a way that properly represents you. And then, secondly, He says, I, I pray that I'll keep a courageous testimony. I want to have sufficient courage. I want to continue to witness. I don't want to allow this thing to make me silent. I want to continue to be bold in the Lord. Have a courage not to deny my faith and not to deny what I believe, even though things are hard and things don't look too good. And lastly, Paul says, I want to keep a Christ-centered focus. He says, above all, I want Jesus to be magnified. I want Jesus to be exalted. The most important thing in life, friend, listen. When I get through it, when you get through it, it's not where you right, where they right, that you win, did they win. Was the Lord Jesus pleased with us? And was the Lord Jesus glorified in our lives' witness and in our lives' example? That's the goal of the believer that really loves the Lord. We love the Lord Jesus. He's been so good to us. He gave us all for us that we want to live in such a way that whatever happens, whether it be life or death, He's pleased He's honored and we leave a good witness to those that see our lives. Can you say amen? Tools in the Master's hands at all times, in all circumstances. May that be our goal. God has given us the resources. He asked for our proper response. That we might be like Paul. Tools in the Master's hands. Now, you might be listening and maybe maybe you're not living like you ought to be living. You know that. You haven't been in church long before. Long before a virus hit the earth. You haven't been in church and you're not seeking God like you ought to. But you know what? You can make a fresh declaration and a fresh devotion right here, right now. You can start saying, Lord, you've been so good to me. I I need to serve you better. I need to get serious and give you first place in my life. You want to become a tool in the Master's hand? Do you want to be an instrument that Jesus can use now and forevermore? Then it starts with a sincere commitment. Jesus, I'm going to live for you. Jesus, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. I'm going to give you first place in my life and submit and surrender my life to you. I'm going to allow your word to govern my life. And I'm not going to be ashamed. But I'm going to tell others I'm a Christian and I'm going to live for you faithfully. If you'll do that, he'll begin that work right now and you can become a tool. In the Master's hand. In the Master's hand. Now, we am going to take communion just a little bit. We're going to remember and give thanks for what Christ did on the cross. It's important. It's very important. Let's put it this way. Here we go. The body and the blood. The body and the blood. You know, go ahead and get your communion elements. We're going to get ready right now to do this. Because so I want to pray at the end. It's important. What we do this morning is not just a religious ritual. This is a holy act of worship. This is something we do because we recognize and believe what Jesus did on the cross. What it meant and how it's transformed our lives. And so we want to be able to celebrate this with with humble hearts, yet with a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude unto God. Again, if things aren't right between you and God, make them right right now. It doesn't have to be drawn out. It doesn't have to be something melodramatic, but it has to be sincere. If things are not right between you and the Lord, tell them you'll repent. Tell them you'll change what you know is wrong. Ask them to forgive you for what you know was wrong. Ask Him right now. Get things right. Make a fresh commitment. His arms are open wide, but you've got to make the choice. Ask Him right now. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians The 11th chapter. And again, we recognize this is an act of worship. This is um, an act of holy obedience. So we examine our hearts. We examine our hearts as we celebrate and commemorate in a worthy manner. In a worthy manner. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I receive from the Lord. This is Paul speaking. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, this piece of bread, this cracker represents the body of the Lord Jesus that he gave for you and I, that he gave to be our sacrifice that He gave to be beaten and bruised, that you and I could be healed, that you and I could be forgiven. And we remember what He did. We remember reverently and thankfully the love that He showed, the sacrifice of His life. We think back and we remember saying, Lord Jesus, thank You. Lord Jesus, thank You. We weren't worthy, but You loved us. We we didn't earn it, but You gave it to us. It was grace, it was mercy. We think back and we say, thank You, Lord. Your love, your sacrifice, your forgiveness. Oh, we thank you, Lord. So we take this. You say, Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your body to be beaten bruised, to be that lamb, to take away the sins of the world, our sins, and for those stripes that brings us healing. Lord, we say thank you. And we receive our healing. And we receive that touch of divine healing now. In the name of Jesus we give thanks and we partake. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. In the same way. After the supper. Jesus took the cup. And he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. And again, the cup represents His blood. And we remember that it was not the blood of a bull or a goat. It wasn't the blood of a a turtle dove. It was the blood of God's only begotten Son that was shed for you and shed for me. It was blood that was worthy. It was blood that was powerful. It was blood that was able to forgive us and cleanse us and pay the price that nothing else could. We think back and we thank the Lord for His shed blood. And Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And as we partake of this blood, as we partake of this juice, we're saying, Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your shed blood that has forgiven us and washed us. And we're going to continue to proclaim Your death and resurrection until You come. We're going to look forward to Your return and until then we're going to proclaim that you died and you rose again. We're going to proclaim that we belong to you. We're going to proclaim that your blood has washed us and took away all of our sins. And for that, we'll forever be humbly thankful. And we will celebrate you and honor you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your blood. Now I thank you, Lord, right now that whosoever is listening, it doesn't matter how terrible the sin was, there is no sin stronger than your precious blood. There is no act of lawlessness or rebellion that cannot be cleansed, washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we that have received this cleansing, this forgiveness, we thank You, Lord Jesus. We honor You. We praise Your holy name. We are so thankful. There's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt and shame, but Your blood, Your blood has washed us and made us white. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for freeing us from the guilt and the shame of a past lawless life. And we promise forever that we will proclaim your goodness and proclaim your mercy and proclaim that you died and rose again and that we belong to you. We will forever proclaim our thankfulness and our worship and our praise for your blood. We say thanks and we partake together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you. No more guilt and no more shame. We love you, Lord. Only through you, Lord. Only through you. We give you praise. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray our final closing prayer. If you have a need, now it's time to lift it up before the Lord. Let's believe God to touch you right where you're at. If you're here today and you're listening and, and you've received the Lord and things are now right with you and God, let someone else know. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone. Tell someone, I made it right with God. Tell someone, I received the Lord today. Go ahead, talk to someone. Call them or tell them if they're there in the home. Let them know, I received the Lord. I'm living for Jesus now. I'm making things right now. I'm going forward with God now. I'm going to be a vessel in the Master's hand now. Tell someone, tell someone, tell someone. And if you're here, And you're listening, you have a need. I want you to lift it up before the Lord as we pray our final prayer. We're going to believe God together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You, Father, for the great salvation we have in Jesus. And Father, we ask You to help us to follow the example that we've studied this morning and how to live this life. Help us, O God, and use us, Father, to be Your vessels to touch our world. And now, Father, I pray in the name of jesus for those that are sick for those that are hurting for those that need a fresh filling father in the name of jesus touch them now let the power of your spirit flow oh god let there be an impartation of healing virtue let that yoke of sickness break let that heaviness break and let impartation refreshing reviving, comfort be imparted into the lives of your people. Father, you see every need as they lift the need before you answer them. Speak to them and touch them now. In Jesus' name, and we give you the praise and the glory forever and forever. Amen and amen and amen. Hey, we love you. We're praying for you. We thank you for praying for us. Now remember, hopefully... Three weeks or so, we want to get back. We want to get back. We want to have church. We might have to have two services or maybe even more. But we want to have church and we want to worship God together and believe God. But listen, until until Tuesday prayer meeting, God bless you. Keep loving people. Keep reaching out. Keep praying for others. In Jesus' name, God bless.